Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dorsey Wright Podcast for Wednesday, April the 22nd. I'm Jay Greg Nanny, and here joining me is Will Gibson. And hope everybody is doing well, staying safe and healthy as we continue to navigate um, the the new normal, such as it is with the the work from home, the stay at home uh, as a result of the COVID-19 uh, coronavirus going on. So hopefully everybody's staying healthy, staying safe, um, staying productive, and then then uh, also uh, in addition to navigating the new normal in our uh, personal and work lives, there's obviously the uh, new normal that has been the stock market over the past couple of months. And it's been uh, just over now two months since the market peaked back on February the 19th. And the new normal of seeing uh, volatility still very high um, as, as defined in, in a number of different perspectives, whether you're looking at just sheer daily moves of plus or minus 1%, it seems like every day and just about every day. Um, we've seen since since uh, uh, February 19th, almost every day, we've seen market movements of either up or down 1% or more. Um, couple that with the, with a uh, VIX reading that is, while not where it was uh, in, in kind of the throes of the big amount of volatility back in March where VIX touched at 85, and, and that's the, the volatility index, uh, is currently in the low 40s, about 43 as we're recording this. So it's backed off of its high watermark by you know a, a good amount, although it's still twice the historical average. So uh, certainly volatility is still very real in the market, uh, in, in, in the stock market, but volatility uh, has, has also uh, become very, very real in the energy markets. And, and that's um, you know, obviously the, the big news event that has come out over the course of this week is uh, crude oil May futures uh, contracts um, falling negative. And, and that is something that, you know, none of us have ever seen. And it's certainly um, a phenomenon that has caused quite a bit of volatility, quite a bit of um, noise across all energy markets, but, but also the stock market as well. And, you know, when we look at, at energy and, and, and ways that the uh, oil decline in oil and, and, you know, frankly, collapse in oil has affected a lot of different things out there, but, you know, certainly affected a, a number of the crude oil related exchange traded funds. Um, USO is, is probably the biggest and most widely followed. And um, the result of what has gone on in the energy markets has caused that fund to um, uh, halt new shares and begin, begin trading more like a closed-in fund and get um, its methodology up to speed and in line with where, what's going on in the market and the reality of what it has faced with the markets. Because, you know, when you, when you look at commodity ETFs, there's, there's a number of ways that those products get access to the investments that they want to. It's either through um, the physical backing of the commodity, uh, it, which is often the case in precious metals related products, things like GLD, that um, there, there's physical gold sitting in a vault that is backing the shares of GLD, or you go out and invest in futures contracts to gain exposure to that particular commodity, which is the case with oil, because um, you know the storage of oil is not like the storage of gold. So, that you know, oil funds have to go invest in, oil, in in futures contracts to get exposure to that. Then the the second question is, how do you which contracts do you invest in? Um, USO is one that has historically invested in just near month contracts and rolled every month. There's other products out there that invest um, in 
12 contracts across the entire calendar. So going 12 months out, things like USL, um, which is uh, 12 months, um, 12 months, 12 months out, meaning that that fund will hold contracts in each of the next 12 months out. Um, and then there's other products, uh, things like DBO, which is an Invesco Deutsche Bank optimum yield roll um, product. So lots of different ways to get access to, to crude oil there um, and lots of different ways that, that the, the futures market has impacted the financial markets because these products have become um, very, very useful um, investment vehicles for investors trying to get access to, to um, various parts of the, of the, of the financial markets. Um, nonetheless, you know, one of the things to be, to be aware of with commodity ETFs is how they're getting that exposure. You know, in, in the case of, of oil, you know, it's, it's through uh, futures contracts. And then how are they rolling those futures contracts? Um, so just understanding, you know, the, the ins and outs of those is, is you know, certainly very, very important. Um, and also the fact that, you know, ETFs, um, predominantly that invest in futures contracts are also going to generate K1 statements. So that's, you know, just something to be aware of as you're, as you're looking and, and um, understanding what's going on in the futures markets uh, underneath of those ETFs. But, you know, outside of futures, you know, the energy sector, obviously crude oil <clears throat> impacting the energy sector as a whole, you know, the energy sector will is one that has uh, been under, quite a bit of pressure for some time now, even before this week and, and all the noise that came out around crude oil. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just taking a brief look at that, we navigated to our Dolly page, dynamic asset level investing, uh, moved down to our domestic equities group, and we note energy remaining last from a sector perspective. Um, and again, for sake of time today, we won't do it, but another view to consider is through the history tab. And through the history tab, you can also get a historical perspective of where that sector has sat. Um, so yeah, Jay, great timely commentary, I would say, as well as historical reference um, to note that despite all these moves, we're still seeing that long-term laggard um, from that domestic equity sector view. Um, one more thing that I'll, I'll piggyback off here. You mentioned in the beginning a great deal about volatility. And there's been no escaping that for the most part in excess over the last month and a half, I'll say. Um, and as a byproduct of that, we have seen a number of our indicators been shifting around. As if you follow us, I'm sure you're aware. One that we like to mention is on frequent occasion would be the bullish percent for the New York Stock Exchange. We'll navigate there now. And the bullish percent for the New York Stock Exchange as a quick refresher it's going to be a participation indicator. It's telling us the percentage of stocks within the New York Stock Exchange that are currently on point and figure buy signals. Over the past month and a half of action, this, we've seen this move violently, going to extremely washed out territory in the single digits. And then we saw a violent upswing uh, to the upside here, moving as high as 66% recently. And then as of a few days ago, we saw this reversed back down into a column of O's. Um, again, a byproduct of that volatility as individual charts, which are building up the bullish percent, those individual charts have changed columns so frequently in the past, I'll say month, month and a half. There's a number of tops and bottoms 
that are close together and making it easy for securities to move to buy signals or move back to individual sell signals. So all that jargon, all that to be said, that volatility is clearly presenting itself um, in the bullish percent here. Not, nonetheless, it remains an important indicator in giving us an idea of field position. Um, as we like to say, our indicators are maps telling us of where we are in the market. Uh, and furthermore, we can use that to look back <laughs> historically. Um, so again, did want to bring the bullish percent to your attention. We have seen that retreat, um, pulling back towards midfield territory again. Um, one thing we have gotten some questions on in tangent to the bullish percent, I will say, is another short-term indicator as the high-low, also for the New York Stock Exchange. I'll navigate there, NYSE high-low is the symbol there. And we're getting some questions because if you follow us a lot, you'll note that we like to pair our in, in indicators together, realizing that we don't have a silver bullet. We need to assess the weight of the evidence and look for confirmation on other indicators. Um, so we see here the bullish, the, excuse me, the high low reversed up into X's from low, low field position and currently resides at about the midfield mark where we saw the bullish percent um, do a number of column changes and has since pulled back into a column of O's. Trying to bring the two together, one thing to note is the high low is a 10-day moving average. So you're not going to see, um, generally, we're not going to see it move just as quickly as perhaps the bullish percent in this market in, in environment. Um, so one thing to represent there, um, one distinction to make. One other thing I'll note is that on that bullish percent, if I may navigate back, and this will pivot into a bit of a further d d discussion that we'll have. Remember what's encompassing the bullish percent or those underlying names within the New York Stock Exchange. We, we've seen a very small cap focus, I'll say, within the New York Stock Exchange or tilt. Furthermore, there is a value tilt to the New York Stock Exchange as well. And in the current market environment, we've seen that large growth technology sector specific names have um, remained quite robust throughout all the volatility. And we see that noted, excuse me here, on our asset class group scores page. Um, asset class group scores is taking all the groups on our platform and ranking them in terms of fund score. Fund score zero to six, six is the best, zero is the worst. Um, we'll note here that we see an equity core percentile rank of 84%, which is, which is relatively high. Um, equity core represented by the S&P 500 index funds group, as we'll note down here in the 23rd position, um, sitting just below the, a lot of the fixed income names and more sector specific names, I, I will say. Um, but again, kind of pairing those short, sh shorter term indicators together, um, we've really seen the volatility affect them, but nonetheless really evidence the strength in that large growth focus um, over the past month and a half, I'll say, throughout all, all of this turmoil, Jay. Yeah, there, there's, um, you, you're absolutely right, Will. And, and going back um, to the bullish percent for a second, you know, that you mentioned the volatility that that's seen. And, you know, that, that certainly has the last stay on offense, if you will, the last day in X's was, was there for, for single digits. The recent reversal down um, had the bullish percent in X's 
um, for, for just a few days. And that's not common. I mean, on average, when you go back and you see reversals into X's for the bullish percent, on average, it tends to stay there for about three months, um, 86 days, strictly speaking. And so for it to stay in X's for only eight days is very, very short. I mean, we have to go back to the 2008 uh, market since the last time that we saw that. Nonetheless, to your point, it is certainly a very important indicator that we do follow, and the reversal down to O's or a move to defense is something that we should not ignore and cer certainly something that should be um, um, taken into account. When you uh, dig into that a little bit, though, and you, and you look and see that um, the bullish percent is an equal-weighted indicator, it is, as you mentioned, uh, a bit more biased towards value stocks. Uh, it's also a bit more biased towards, you know, smaller and mid cap than, than large cap stocks. And so, you know, the, the names in this market that have been holding up have been those big mega cap type of stocks um, that, that you mentioned earlier. And so you've got a situation where the proverbial generals continue to fight the battle out on the field while the soldiers um, have been have been moving down and have been giving sell signals. The soldiers being, you know, the small and mid cap stocks, the masses out there, while those big large cap stocks have really um, been the ones to, to hold the market up. To put that into perspective, if you look at just the S&P 500 stocks, so just the 500 stocks that make up the S&P 500, there are, through yesterday, nearly as many stocks that are in positive territory this year as there are stocks that are down 50% or more this year. And that's a staggering number when you think about it. If you, you know, it, to the, the idea, the old investment theory of throwing a dart and picking stocks that way, you know, in this market this year, throwing a dart, you have an equal opportunity as picking a stock that is up as you do is picking a stock that's down 50% or more. Um, and so, you know, that is certainly indicative of the market environment that we are dealing with right now. While you look underneath the surface and you see um, the S&P 500 certainly has corrected, but when you, when you go in and you look at small cap indexes, you look at value indexes, um, those have been impacted um, you know, much, much worse to the extent that, you know, we were, we were talking earlier, if you, if you look at, um, uh, like some of these, some value ETFs or value indexes, uh, RPV is the uh, uh, Invesco S&P 500 pure value ETF is down 40% this year, while uh, year to date through the 21st, while RPG, which is the S&P uh, 500 pure growth ETF is down 15% this year, more in line with where the S&P 500 is. And you think, geez, how is that possible? And you drill down and you look at the sector exposure and you see the biggest sector exposure out there is financials at about a third of that RPV of value. But you also see, so that, you know, obviously financials, banks are, are, are have come under quite a bit of volatility um, this year as, um, you know, as has everything, but banks and, and um, financial companies have been uh, impacted uh, adversely more so than, than other areas of the market. But then you also see almost 11% exposure to energy. And we, you know, we, we, we all know what's happened in energy. We, we mentioned energy earlier. And so, you know, that's really what's going on with, you look at a lot of those value names, you look at a lot of value stocks. And, you know, when, when you go and look at, you know, things like your asset class group scores, um, you know, in the various views of that, and you see um, S&P 500 or core equity, you know, that's really talking about, you know, a very small, um, concentrated segment of the market. Uh, it is the biggest because, you know, it's 
big mega cap type of stocks, but underneath the surface, you know, it's, it's certainly been a lot more uh, volatile um, than just the, the S&P 500 has, has shown out there. Exactly. Yeah, that's great clarification, Jay. And to the point, you know, you, you look at, um, obviously, you know, we, we, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about equities, um, you know, but, but fixed income, you know, you, you see a lot when you scroll down this, this um, either that asset class page or you look at uh, within Dolly and, and you see um, fixed income, cash and fixed income in, in the number one and two positions there. And, and fixed income actually um, is pretty, pretty close. It's just one signal away from moving up to number one. Cash is still there right now. Fixed income um, is is certainly uh, battling, but then there's a pretty big drop off between number two and number three currency, uh, and then domestic equity, U.S. equity down in the number four spot. But it's been interesting within the fixed income markets uh, here. Earlier in the year, you saw a massive de-risking within fixed income. Like credit spreads um, got got really really wide in, in the in the heat of the volatility. Um, so a massive de-risking. We saw a lot of our our models are. Uh, fixed income models, fixed income strategies move to a very defensive fixed income posture with, you know, moving uh, more low duration, uh, moving more treasuries and away from kind of the risk on areas of the bond market. Um, but now you're beginning to see some of that uh, unwind as you look at, you know, fixed income within Dolly and you see things like preferred and convertibles up there at the top. You see U.S. corporate bonds up there at the top. You see U.S. high yields up there at the top. And those are things that, that historically are um, more, more uh, kind of risk on areas of the bond market, if you will, the areas that are um, less correlated to, uh, less negatively correlated, I should say, to um, interest rate movement. So, you know, just an in interesting observation within um, the fixed income asset class, given, you know, certainly, you know, it, it's, it is a strong asset class, relatively speaking, within Dolly, but it certainly is a very important asset class uh, in terms of most, um, most investors' uh, allocation portfolios. So um, certainly something to, to pay attention to and to watch and, and see um, how, that, uh, how that plays out from here. Sure. And so, um, so Will, with that, I think, um, you know, I, I think that that was a, a lot that we kind of unpacked there in a, in a pretty short amount of time. Was there any one or two other things that you wanted to, to mention here as we were, we were talking through uh, before the podcast? No, I, I don't think so. Um, it is Earth Day, the 50th Earth Day I saw. Um, so hopefully we can get yes. enjoy the Earth outside of our quarantine environments here later this afternoon um, but market related i think we've unpacked a lot here um, a, lot, a lot to process so thanks for joining me here and sharing your wisdom per usual well that's right so hopefully you know we as always we appreciate everybody joining us on this podcast and, and like we've uh, said at the beginning hope everybody is staying um healthy staying safe out there uh, if you get a chance, you know, I'm uh, in my home office looking out my window and it looks it looks to be a nice day outside. I have yet to go outside today, uh, but uh, maybe this afternoon we'll, we'll be able to get out and enjoy some fresh air. So I hope everybody, everybody else is able to do the same. So uh, with that, Will, appreciate you being on this week. Appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you and your business, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, our email address is dwa at dorseywright.com, or you can reach us by phone at 804-320-8511. Talk to everybody soon. Thanks.